but I want us to really understand that we are a representation of the body of Christ. What does that mean? The church is the body of Christ. But really, what does that mean is, is Jesus is the head, but we should be living out what the head wants his body to do. And for the rest of the world to see that, oh, there's a connection there between the head and his body that's on this earth. And this is the way that, that we live according to God's word compared to the rest of the world. And so today I want to just talk a little bit about the expectations of Christ on his own body from his, his head down and what we should look like and how we should act. And so if you turn to John chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, this is where we're going to be starting our, our series. It says that Jesus came into the very world he created. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. But the world didn't recognize him. So he was the creator of the world. He came into the world that he created, but the world did not recognize the creator. He came to even his own people that he had blessed and been with and guided and directed, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him, everybody say believed, and accepted him, say accepted. So there's two parts here. Lots of people say they believe, but... There's a twofold aspect of this, to believe and to accept. A lot of people will say, I believe in Jesus. But there has to be the second aspect that you've accepted him as the Lord over your life. He's in control. He gave the right to anybody who would do those two things, believe in him and accept him, to become children of God. I want to talk about being a child of God, but not just being what it means to be a child of God, but the children of God are the family of God. Now, I know today, more than likely, looking around, that I'm preaching to the choir. So everybody say, la, la, la. And I'm going to beat a dead horse, but I really feel like, you know, this is where God wants us to go. I want to talk about church. If, you've, if you read the news online at all, you have Google News feeds, whatever you iPhone people have. Uh, you'll have seen probably articles that pop up, and it's been regularly over the last several weeks about a study that came out that talks about how there's less people attending church in the United States than ever, and that the numbers of church membership are declining drastically. I know that a lot of people would say they believe, but they don't believe in the corporate church, or they don't believe in the institution of church. People will say that the church is full of hypocrites, that the church has, has hurt me. I've been hurt at a church before, that church isn't what it was originally meant to be, if you read the book of Acts, or that church doesn't do what the church should be doing, because everybody has their idea of the way a church should function and all that. The church is a lot of things. The church has a lot of issues. It's called a lot of names, phony and fake and hypocritical, occult. It's called ignorant. But listen, in God's word, if you read God's word, it is also called the gathering of believers. The gathering of believers. It's called a place for the sick and the sinners. We're called the saints only but by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are called the bride of Christ and a holy nation. 
Now, my hope this morning is that you guys will, you know, receive this as Peter describes as we read this last summer, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, when he writes to those churches, and he says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always, say always. So he felt there was something that they always needed a reminder about, or some things that they always needed a reminder about. Uh, Though you know these things already and are established in this present truth. So, What is he saying? He's saying, church, I want to remind you of something, and I will remind you always of something that you already know and a truth that you are presently established in. But just because you're presently established in this truth doesn't mean that you will always be in this truth. It's always a truth, but there are things that will happen in life that will try and take this truth from you or you away from that truth. And so I'm constantly reminding you of these things. So though I may be beating a dead horse today for some of you, I hope that you remember the importance of a reminder. Number one, that when it comes to the church, that it is God's family. It's not just our family or a spiritual family or church family, but this is God's family. This is God's family, and it's been established as God's family. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 writes this, that God decided in advance. Somebody say advance. He already knew this. He already planned this. He had decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. How good does that sound? That God would have decided in advance, you know what, I want to make these people a part of my family. I'm going to choose you and you and you. I'm going to give all of you the right to become a part of my family. You have that right. Whether you take it, choose that right or not is up to you. But I've given you that right through the giving of my one and only son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for you and paid that price for you. And you know what? It gives me great pleasure when people will say yes to that right to become a part of the family of God. He planned it from the very beginning. Jesus made it happen by giving his life so that we could become a part of the family of God. He didn't just die so that you could become a Christian. He didn't just die so that you could get saved. He died so that you could become a part of God's family. That's what this was about. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. There was a dividing wall between people. And he did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations, which we just finished studying in the book of Galatians. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Two groups of people. You notice how the Bible divides, you may not realize this, the world into two groups of people. That's the way it was seen. 
You might think that of what about all the other nationalities? What about, what about all the other nations, the ethnic groups? What about that? Is that leaving those people out? No. In God's people, there was only two groups. There was the Jews and everybody else. Everybody else was Gentiles. Everybody else were Greek. Everybody else were dirty dogs. And they hated each other. And if you look at the world today, they still do. But what God was trying to do is say, you know what, I'm opening up the door so that everybody can become a part of the family of God. It isn't so that you can become a part of what was just the Jews or that, you know, that there would be two separate people following after God, but that there would be one people that would decide to come through the door together. And he said to create a new man. And and in order to do that, I really want you to understand when you look around the church and you see different personalities and different people and people that you might not think that you would relate to and understand really what he's talking about, like what we studied in the book of Galatians. There was a battle between these two people. For a lot of them, they actually hated each other. They couldn't stand each other's culture. They despised each other's culture. They didn't want to follow after each other's ways. They thought they were different. They were odd. Even when they all came to Christ, they thought they were different. They thought they were odd. Even under Christ, they would look at each other and say, why are they doing that? Why do they act like that? Why do they do those things? Why do they, you know, and, and they look over here and they say, why do they still eat like that? Why do they still drink like that? Why are they so dirty? You know, they have their per- cultural perceptions of each other. But Paul wrote right in Galatians chapter 3, verse 18, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter. There's no longer slave or free. What does that mean? Rich or poor, more or less, in today's world. It isn't about how much money somebody makes and how, how little bit of money a person makes. It doesn't matter if they're male or female. It says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? I really, I want to drive this home. It means that, that Jesus Christ died to bring oddities together. A part of his family means that you're either the odd one or you think somebody else is odd and God has brought you two together. And it might be an odd pairing, but he's brought you together. Now, if you're married, you've probably thought that at times in your marriage, right? Because at first, everybody thinks everybody likes what each other likes and we're, we just like everything together and we do everything together and we love together and everything's just rosy, rosy, rosy. And, and we get married and then we find out that we have nothing alike. And then you have to work through the process of figuring out how we become one amongst all of those differences we didn't see in the beginning, right? And if you follow the covenant of marriage, you understand that you're there, the door is closed to separating, and now we got to figure this out. And guess what? If there is no other option, you generally try to figure those things out. Now, now, I'm not going to go down the road of the options that the Bible gives because we're not talking about marriage. I'm just talking in the general principle, the idea that God would bring two people together that are completely different and that they have to do the work to figure out how do we bring our differences together and become one. Now, that is marriage, but that's church. I was with somebody the other day and they were talking about how it's odd in their neighborhood where they live that 
all the people around them, these, these guys are in their 40s, and all the people around them are in their 20s, and currently all of their best friends that they do things with are people in their 20s. And now that may seem a little bit different, but then I was thinking about the people that I spend time with, and I spend time with people that are younger, I spend time with people that are older, and part of that reasoning is because of the, uh, because of God's word. Like we have this connection, this friendship, this relationship that would, would make somebody who's 15 years older than me or 20 years younger than me a friend of mine that I spend time with and we do things together. It's also why, you know, there might be somebody that I hang out with that, that doesn't care about sports at all. And in my younger years, that was all I cared about. And now we have a connection beyond something as stupid as sports that we spend time together and we hang out with. It's an oddity. Now, there may be people in here that at one time you thought, man, they're such a weird person or they're an odd person or, you know, they're so different. And then it's crazy how over time, if you will stick with the same family, that that person becomes a friend of yours. And you will look at them and think, I used to think you were the weirdest duck. And they might say, I thought the same thing about you. Because God is in the business of bringing oddities together and making them one. That's what the family of God is. The second aspect that I want to talk about when it comes to the family is the gathering. Hebrews 10, 25, probably one of the most famous scriptures when it comes to the gathering. Uh, the writer, we think, could be Paul. Not sure if it's Paul, writes these words. Let us, everybody say us. Who's he talking about? Those who believe in God, Jesus, and not just believe in him, but have accepted him. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. There's already an issue that some people were not meeting together in the early church. They didn't think it was important. They thought they could go to church, or they, they thought they could believe in God and still not go to church. They, they didn't believe in the way that the corporate church was going. They didn't believe the church was doing the things that it should be doing. They didn't believe it was the way that it was originally functioning. They don't believe in, in any of those things, right? And so it's already being addressed in the book of Hebrews 2,000 years ago. Let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do, but... Encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I'm not even going to focus on the importance of gathering together out of this verse. I don't know if I've ever preached this verse without focusing on that. What I want to talk about when it comes to this is the idea of meeting together. Jesus, when it comes to all of those things, he said, I will build my church. You know what I've believed over the years? That God is in control of his church. He's the one that builds it. I don't think that he's ever stopped building it. I don't know in God's eyes what he wants it to look like. We should have some sort of idea. We have general principles to follow. I don't know what the meetings necessarily he would intend for them to be, but I believe this, that whatever they are, as messed up as we might think they are, it's still God that's involved in that. If there's two or three people gathered together in his name, then he's with them. He's still building his church. Do you know that every New Testament letter written outside of the Gospels is written either to the church or about the church? 
in some way, shape, or form. Every single. You, you, you could try to subtract in the New Testament, outside of the Gospels, what you want. If you don't want to go to church or believe in church or that sort of thing, and guess what? You ain't going to have a Bible outside of the Gospels. Every single one isn't written to an individual just for the individual. It's written to the gathering of believers. Every book of the New Testament. You know, you can even say Philemon. That might be the one oddity people think about. Guess who was Philemon was written to? Well, you know. Who was he? He was the leader of a home church. And he was saying, I want you to take Onesimus and you guys become, understand the meaning of one together again. It wasn't just to one person. It was to the leader of the home church discussing a personal issue that affected all of them. From Titus to Timothy, it was about issues that they were having to deal with in the church. Every single letter was to the church. You can't read the Bible without it including the church. Where doesn't matter, but the why does matter. What he says when it comes to the gathering of believers is that I want you to still come together. Why? To encourage each other, to edify each other, depending on your translation. What does that word mean? It means to strengthen each other, to comfort each other, to, to encourage each other. Do you know that Paul would write to the church in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 3? He's talking about the mess of the church. Now listen, church health isn't based upon not having any issues, because all churches are messy. Church health is based upon the people's ability to work through the issues. And so here you have a church that to us looks like a mess. And Paul's writing a letter to try and bring order to the church. And he's talking about different giftings in the church specifically when he gets here. But what, if you read through that whole chapter, is he trying to get them to understand this one principle that comes from one who prophesies? He says, to strengthen encourage and comfort. Does that not sound like why we meet together in the book of Hebrews? That should be the main goal of, of the family gathering, to strengthen, to encourage, and to comfort. To strengthen, to encourage, and to comfort. Now, some of you religious folk are thinking about, what about preaching on sin? What about giving people the hard things? What about the admonition aspect. What do you think it is to strengthen somebody? You ain't going to get strong if you don't ever have anything coming against your muscle, right? Whether that's your arm muscle, your leg muscle, your faith muscle, whatever it might be, there's got to be some weight that's thrown on that in order to build it up. And so that's an aspect of, of the strengthening and stealing courage and then comforting when they need comforted. It's practically speaking, I believe that most churches attempt to do this, strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Every church I've ever went to, now there's, I'm sure, churches out there that don't, but their primary goal is these three things, whether they realize it or not, strengthen, encourage, and comfort. How do we do this? Doesn't matter where you're meeting, doesn't matter how many people are in their meeting, but you do it 
by praising God or reading his word, both. Praising God and reading his word. Now, sometimes, you know what, we get caught up in the differences, the different styles. And so everyone's trying to accomplish these same three goals, but they try to accomplish them in different ways. But those ways aren't based upon truth. Those ways are really based upon what you like, what your preference is. My preference is modern music, but guess what? This morning I came in all fired up. In my head, as I was in the shower, came an old song, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Anybody remember that song? I'd sing it for you because I, I love it. It's in me right now, but you guys would not feel comforted or strengthened. <laughs> Definitely not encouraged that you'd be encouraging me at that point, get some singing lessons. But so my wife and I, we, we listened to, to all these old songs as we're getting ready this morning. Like, you have a preference for what it is that instills courage in you, that brings comfort to you, that strengthens you. And generally speaking, we look for those, those preferences. And sometimes Christians, they get, you know, out of order. They get contorted over their, pref their preference over purpose. We will put preference over purpose. And here's, here's where that comes in. Preaching, oh, that person, they were, just, they were just too monotone. And then there will be those on the opposite side, they were just too loud. And then they're just too long. And then they're just, we don't ever really have this problem. Too short. <laughs> right? We put preference over purpose. The guitar is too loud. You couldn't hear this singer singing or whatever instrument it might be. This person, man, they were really annoying today in church. Last Sunday was family Sunday. You know, the kids were crying. They were being a little bit noisy, like that's irritating. And, and so we all have these preferences over the way we think things should go. It's too noisy, something weird happened in church today, whatever it might be. And so we, we put our preference over purpose, missing the point that, that there should be something about being strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. Now, when it comes to these kinds of, of, of messes that take place, that we, we see our preferences getting messed up, not the purpose getting messed up, but our preferences getting messed up, I have to ask the question, how was it the last time that you went to a large family gathering with your family? Maybe some of you haven't been to a large family gathering. I'll invite you to mine next time. Because I can tell you this, there's a purpose for the family gathering together at a large family gathering, and it's not that we all get along, it's not that we all agree, it's not that there aren't many kids involved and they're not noisy, it, it, there's a purpose. We want to fellowship together in our family gatherings. And yet, amongst that purpose, there's oddities that take place, there's weird things that happen, there's disagreements, there's noisy kids, there's all these things. I think about Jesus when he was with his disciples and he was given the teachings and, and then, you know, there was complaints about the kids. We don't know what was really going on with the kids. You could probably guess what was going on with the kids, but why would people start complaining about the kids when Jesus is preaching? 
And what was his response to those who were complaining? It might have been legitimate complaints. Like, I can't really hear that well. Or I, I don't know what he, you know, I, I can't really pay attention right now. And Jesus' response to all of that was to bring them to me. That, that was his heart for the kids, for the next generation. Then just bring them up here. Think about how he put purpose over preference and how often we put preference over purpose. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14.40 at the end of that chapter, after he'd went through a bunch of different teachings on bringing order, he says, Maybe make sure that everything is done properly and in order. Properly and in order. Properly and in order. So sometimes we get religious, those of us who have been, church in while, been in church for a while, and we think properly and in order, thinks that it must match my preference. The gathering must match my preference. And, and if not, then it's out of order. Things aren't being done properly. You know what properly means? It means decently and honestly. Decently doesn't necessarily mean perfectly. Honestly, what's the honestly that's the part of properly? It's that you're trying to do things. You're being honest in the way that you do things. That we have to remember that, that when it comes to church, we should know this, but it's not a concert, it's not a show, it's not an event. That this is supposed to be the family gathering and sometimes stuff happens. But typically, family members who are in charge of hosting the family when they all come together, I can tell you this, they're, they're trying to help fulfill the purpose, not necessarily the preference. They're honestly trying to help people create an atmosphere where it's conducive to being strengthened, comforted, and encouraged. But here's the situation. The next step of what does it mean in Hebrews to gather together, to meet together, is that there should be an aspect in that as you gather that you're practicing your faith. That's part of the church. If you read through the book of Ephesians, you will find that there's a large aspect of, hey, when the church gathers together, they're to be practicing their faith. If the only time that you gather together is on Sunday, then somewhere in Sunday there should be people practicing their faith. Hopefully there's small groups and people attending small groups where they have the opportunity to practice their faith. Now you might think, can't I practice my faith outside of the church gathering? Absolutely you can. But specifically, it talks about practicing amongst each other. So how are you practicing your faith amongst each other as if, you do, as if all you do is attend an event on Sunday morning? Yeah, you can practice evangelism out there with people. But the truth is that God says that we are to practice it also amongst each other and outside of the walls when you're putting that practice to purpose. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. That word saints is who? Us. The church. Doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means that you're a sinner saved by grace, and therefore, because of that, you don't necessarily have to refer to yourself as a sinner because the Bible also looks at you and says, no, you're a saint. 
because of the righteousness of Christ. You just stick to that idea that you're a sinner saved by grace. That brings humility. But if you get too stuck there, you're washing away what the blood of Jesus did for you and making you a saint because of his righteousness and his blood. And so he calls you a saint. And he says, this practice that takes place when you come together is for your equipping as a saint that is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Why do you need to be equipped for the work of serving? That's the word ministry means to serve. So that you will do those good works in learning to serve. Why do you serve? Is it to serve your community who doesn't know Christ? Is it to serve you know, somebody that's at your workplace? All of those things. No, those things are there, but it's not a part of this verse. It's for the edifying of the body of Christ. That means amongst each other. And so what is the word edifying? To strengthen, to comfort, to encourage. Same word. That at some aspect, the gift that you've been given and everybody's been given a gift should be being used amongst the body of Christ in order to accomplish those three things. And this is where you practice those things. Equipping. Some of your translations say the word perfecting. What does it mean? It means that you're completely furnished. If you're a saint, if you're somebody who's accepted Christ, believed and accepted, that in this, you will find the equipment that you need to be completely furnished to live out the gifting and the calling that God has put on your life. That's what he's talking about right here. But you practice for the edifying of the body of Christ, and then you walk out that purpose for the world to see the glory of Christ. To be fully equipped means you need to do two things. Because a lot of Christians come in, they accept Christ, they don't even know this, but they need to learn and they need to practice. You can't practice what you don't know. And so you got to know, and then you got to put that knowing to practice. And so what are you practicing when we come together in the church service? Number one, faith in general, right? You're, you're, you're hopefully allowing the goodness of God, the presence of God, the surrounding of the believers, the saints that are around you to help you in your faith in general. Because when you come in and you're brand new or you come in and you've just might be a 20 year old Christian, but you're going through some things that's tearing away at your faith. You know what happens is it affects our behavior and our actions, right? And that's when we see people that are coming together for the church event and you might've seen them out in public and you think, man, they're a pretty worldly person. They got some sin in their life. They got some issues, you know, and they get judged as being worldly or somebody who's the 20 year old Christian that's going through a lot of stuff in life, a lot of issues right now. And you run into them, you see them, or you hear a story about them. Some sort of gossip gets back to you and you, and this is the idea. Well, they weren't very Christian. Have you ever heard that? The worst thing is, have you ever said that? That's not very Christian. I'll bet you there's a few things that you've said or done that aren't very Christian also. And we don't know what's going on in that person's life. But the reason they're here is to be strengthened, encouraged, and comforted in their general faith. And what you need on a Sunday morning when we gather together is to be able to express that faith and expressing that faith through song, through, uh, through praise and worship and hearing God's word is only going to strengthen that faith so that you're less worldly, so that you're less not very Christian. 
and, and it's, it's for us, but when we're trying to judge the person that we heard the gossip about or what we think about something we saw, witnessed, or heard, we have to look at that and think the best place they should be is right here, right now. I think about years ago, I did something taboo in the pastor world. We needed a drummer. And so I knew somebody I was ministering to, and he, he said, uh, he just has a hard time because he smokes pot all the time. And I said, then why don't you be our drummer? Now, every pastor I knew at the time would have thought I'm crazy. And, and still, people would think probably that I was crazy. But I wanted him to come experience the love of the body, and if the gifting is what brought him here, it wasn't like he was leading anybody. It wasn't like he was trying to be somebody that he wasn't. And so we would have the opportunity to minister to him. The presence of God would touch his life, and he could make a decision from there. And so he joined us, and he played the drums for us for a while. If you haven't known, drummers have been the biggest challenge that this church has ever had. Some churches have an anointing for drummers, and there's six of them in a church of 70. And then there's some churches that all you got to do is ever play the mechanical drum, at least the guys on time all the time. And uh, that would be our church. But uh, I invited him be, to be a part. He came to me a couple different times and he said that he wanted to quit. I tried to encourage him. No, stick with it. It's okay. Just let God minister to you. But eventually he left because he felt too guilty because he was seeing the love of Christ, he sensed the presence of Christ, but he was being convicted, but wasn't allowing that conviction to change him, and he made that choice and that decision. But we've also had, coincidentally, before that, years before that, a drummer that was struggling, and he was invited to be a part of the worship team. He came to be a believer in Christ. He accepted Christ. He's a Christian to this day, years and years later, and he's still a healthy part of the church, and that's what it should be about. Like, these people believe in God, but they're struggling, and yes, we know there's worldliness, and that's not very Christ-like, and I'm not just talking about smoking pot. I'm talking about attitudes just the same, haughtiness, pridefulness, uh, upsetting people, being angry, running into somebody, even as you come into church. Well, that wasn't very Christian-like. They snubbed me. They didn't talk to me. Nobody shook my hand. All of those things, right, that sometimes go through our heads. And we don't know what's going on in people's life, but this is about being a grace-based church family. We understand we all have those days and those moments. So if you want to help somebody learn and get better, which should be all of our goal, right? That's why we're here. Then this is where you need to practice the scriptures. This is the place of practice. It can help them. And it will definitely still help you. Matthew 18, 15. If another believer sins against you, you walked in, they turned their back. That was your perception. Their perception was they didn't see you. But you walk in and something happens that you didn't get what you thought you would get. Another believer sins against you. That can happen a million different ways. Jesus said, go and tell everyone. Go to a different church. Come on. They weren't friendly. They didn't shake your hand. Somebody said something you didn't like. What do you do? You either go and tell people about it or you go to a different church in today's world. But Jesus said, go privately and you point out the offense 
And if they confess that offense and they hear you, then you've won that person back. Like that could be in multiple ways, multiple sins, multiple uh, occasions for offense to take place and sins to happen. But you go to them with the goal of what? Reconciling whatever the difference was. Galatians 6, dear brothers and sisters and other believers overcome by some sin, you are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. I won't preach that. We've already went down that road. 1 Peter 4, 8. Most important of all. Everybody say most important. Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. What if that person sinned against you? What if that person is worldly? What if that person isn't very Christ-like, Christian-like? Most important of all, even if you don't want to go to them because your offense has gotten a little deep over the way that they treated you, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. The second aspect that we're going to be practicing when we gather together is the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Really, it's about the heart, but the reflection of it's in the attitude. Like, again, somebody that's not very friendly, they're mean, they're rude, they're bossy, they're impatient, they're offensive. If you want to help your family learn and get better, what do you do? Romans 12, 17 through 18, never pay back evil with more evil. You think that they treated you evil, that wasn't very nice what they said or they did to you, so how do you respond? You respond with equal or greater power. No, you just don't pay back what you receive, right? A soft word turns away wrath or anger. Do things in such a way that everyone sees you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Luke 6, 27 through 28. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Everybody say, do good. What does that mean? Like, you may, not, you, you may not think that somebody hates you, but they treat you like crap. They said something you don't like, whatever it might be. And your response is often to come back with equal. Like, you're going to, don't talk to me like that, or I'm going to talk to you like that. Don't act like that, or I'm going to act like that towards you. Instead, he says, do good. Just the opposite of what you're receiving is what you give. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Hosea 10, 12. I love this because this comes off of seed time and harvest. The law of, of sowing and reaping. I said, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. What do you want in return? I hope that you want love. And so if you want love back, then you need to start making sure that you're planting seeds of righteousness in the area that you're receiving something that you don't like. The third thing that we practice is the gifts of the Spirit. What are the gifts of the Spirit? We just read in Ephesians chapter 4. They're tools for serving the body of Christ, for edifying the body of Christ. Yes, also outside, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about inside the church family. That's prophesying, healing, preaching, serving, bearing one another's burdens. All of those things are to be practiced inside the gathering of believers. That's an aspect of what we should be doing. And listen, this is where it can get really messy. But here's what I want you to understand. This summer, my grandson, Bodie's four years old, started playing sports. 
So he was in gymnastics for a little while. We went and watched his practices in gymnastics. He was with a bunch of other little kids, and they just ran back and forth on the trampolines across the balance beam. They, they, they did these games to try and teach balance and things like that. And some of the kids were sitting down, and some were over in a corner doing somersaults. And, you know, some were jumping off and going in other directions. And all of that was taking place not once did the coach or, or somebody else look at them and think, they're out of order. This is a mess. We're going to make you sit down. We're going to make you leave. You can't be doing that. Not one of them looked at them with grace. They looked at them with grace, and they gave them that grace to just continue to, to do their thing, but learn little things at a time and to grow in what it was. He got into... Uh, t-ball after that and then soccer and guess what every one of them had a coach and every coach almost faced the exact same problems with all the little kids from gymnastics to baseball to soccer you have a bunch of little kids who are just learning practicing trying to gain some knowledge and it was messy you have kids running the wrong direction after they hit the ball. They run to third base instead of first base. They, they decide they want to sit down on first base, and they don't want to run to second base. They decide they're at second, and they come home. They don't pick up the ball. They watch it roll by them, and they throw rocks instead of the baseball back, right? In soccer, you have kids that are just sitting down in the field, kids that decide, hey, I see my mom at the concession stand, and they run after their mom at the concession stand because a goodie sounds better than being in this mess of kicking the ball. And then you also have kids that were just running after those who were kicking the ball, kids that would kick the ball out of bounds, and then they just keep kicking it out of bounds into the next field of soccer until they interfere with that game. You had all sorts of craziness taking place place. But guess what? We still went to every single game. Most people did. We still encouraged them. We still strengthened them. We still gave them comfort. We watched their coach try his best. Doesn't mean that he's in control of them, but he tried his best to give them guidance and direction. And, and hopefully amongst the mess, they're still learning something. They're still able to practice. And that as they grow and they get older and they continue in that, you will see the fruits of somebody that gave them grace in the very beginning. And that's what this is about. We should be family enough that we look at each other and we think, you know what? Uh, that wasn't quite what I expected. But hey, there's grace for that in the family of God. Now, I'm going to get personal for a second. And I know I'm going long. Hopefully, I can keep your attention here. When it comes to the practicing of the gifts in the church family, it's really hard in the large family. But every now and then, I have different people preach. Why in the world do I have pe different people preach? They've got to learn how to speak publicly some way. Now, some people would say, well, that's what you should have had a Tuesday night service for. That's what you have a youth group. That's what you have. The yeah, because they deserve the beginners. Because they deserve to be the ones that have to listen to somebody who's brand new or hasn't preached often or doesn't get as many opportunities or is different from the way the pastor. Is that it? Because they're lesser than you? Because you want something more and greater because you're somebody special? No. I've had people leave our church because Corey doesn't preach all the time. That's not family. Family should be, hey, 
You know what? One of the younger people are up there. One of, the, of somebody else that's, that's able to, to, to learn and grow in their teaching or their preaching abilities. And even though they may be different, you know what I want to do? This isn't about you. This is about you doing something for them maybe that Sunday. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Because we're all here for the same reasoning, right? I think about Janet. Janet, come here real quick. My sister, Janet. Of course, when I'm on vacation, she makes a mess. But you love me. But I love her. But here's the truth. Like, she felt when I was gone, some of you may know this. Most of you probably don't even know this. But she comes up, she feels like God's been sharing something with her, and she asked to share on a Sunday morning. When she gets done, I don't know, but I get text messages when I'm in Hawaii. I get, I get talked to when I'm in Hawaii. And, and then I get back, and I'm talking to different people, like probably eight out of ten people that I talk to. They're like, oh, no, man, that was awesome what she did. So I, I listened to what happened. I talked to Janet. I want you guys to know this. This stuff you don't know about, you don't need to know about because not everybody needs to know everything that takes place. So we go up and we have a great conversation as brother and sister in Christ. And I say, the only thing that I could say is you were practicing your gift as you didn't separate really in, in my mind or in other people's minds because of probably your excitement and having not practiced it enough is what was God and what was you. Because some people get to talking, and this can be in preaching, teaching, prophesying. It can be in healing. It can take place in even serving at the food bank and handing people a box, being able to separate what's God and what's you. Because even as you hand somebody a box, that could be you instead of God. But when you're public, it's much more noticeable. And so we had this conversation about learning from the process that it's okay because this is amongst family if it makes a little bit of mess and that somebody comes up and share. Now let's talk about this. How can we get better at this next time as we be able to separate those things? And so we're talking about this. We have a good conversation. I say I may talk about something like this in the future. Today's the day. And, uh, and so I'll let you know when I do. And she says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm there or gone. You bring it up because this is a learning lesson for all of us. And so we love Janet. Thank you. What I don't like is when somebody leaves here and they go and tell 10 other people, that was a mess. That wasn't God. That was a wreck. Like what? Let's go back to those scriptures we just read. Go to that person privately and have a conversation with them because they messed with your preference. Go to that person and give them deep love because that's above everything else if you're family. Now, if you didn't like that and it goes against your preferences and it causes you to leave, I don't mean to be mean, but that could be that you're not a part of the family. Because in my family, we don't leave each other. You know how many times my girls have ticked me off? Guess what? I'm still their dad, they're still my daughter. And the family of God is supposed to be stronger than blood family. The spirit is stronger than blood. Now, that doesn't mean that, that maybe these aren't your preferences and there is another church that is your preferences. Make that place stronger than blood family. But I can tell you, there's people that have come 
and left. Come and left, come and left. They come, they steal here. Why? Because ultimately this is their family. This is where they've been developed. This is what they're sticking through. And despite our preferences getting messed up once in a while, despite there being messes, despite people growing and learning and opportunity for messes to be made, we still come to strengthen, comfort, encourage each other. I don't know about in your family, but I can tell you this. In my family, Stacy and I weren't perfect parents. We had bad days. We had hurts amongst us and our kids. There were times the kids would throw fits. There were times the parents would throw fits. We'd say things that we don't always mean. We might say things that we think were true, but they lacked knowledge or there was a misunderstanding. We have disagreements. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes those disagreements are heated disagreements. There's a little bit of passion. I like to say that's the Italian inside of me. But Corey's voice will go up, go up. And when that happens, it creates heat in the atmosphere. And so it's not just disagreeing, but it's heated arguments. Listen, we don't agree on everything, not just once in a while, but there are some things we will never agree on. We're still married. We still love each other. We still are family, even though there are things that we will never agree on. But we compromise for the sake of relationship and the big picture that we are a representation of the body of Christ, the family of God. You know, what's interesting is it seems to me amongst family and even the church family is it's easier to give outsiders more grace than it is those who are closest to you. I mean, it's a given. The closer somebody is to you, the more hurt, the deeper hurt takes place, right? But generally speaking, you forgive faster. You give each other grace and you move forward. Nobody can push we aren't supposed to have buttons, but nobody can push my button like my wife and vice versa. You guys don't even think my wife has a button. Let me tell you something. <laughs> right? Nobody can hurt each other like we can hurt each other. But the truth is, we don't have to go tell people about it because you're not going to be as quick to forgive as we are because of how close we are to each other. Now, that should go in every relationship that we have, not just in our family, but even more so in the spiritual family. I didn't expect somebody in the church to treat me that way, to talk to me. Why didn't you? There's the problem right there. You're living a mirage. This isn't real. We're real people. We create real messes. We have real attitudes. Real stuff happens. And you know what? It hurts because you don't expect it. But you know what? Be quick to forgive because we're family. Number four. All right, wait, wait, wait. Let me just give you some scriptures. Ephesians 4.2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Everybody say, be patient with each other. Humble and gentle, be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Because we have this deep love for each other, I just give you an allowance. Colossians 3.13-14, 3, make allowance. Everybody say Allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Make allowance. Do you understand what that means? When you're 
parents, if you had parents that gave you an allowance, maybe some of you did, maybe some of you didn't. I, I got an allowance at times for doing certain chores in my home. Did they give me that allowance to pay off what I already spent? No. They gave me an allowance that when I received that, I was able to spend that. Right? Therefore, if you're given an allowance, it's not for something that's already spent, typically speaking. It's for something that you may spend later. And so it says, Paul, writing to two different groups of churches, the, the churches in Ephesus, a very large group, the church in Coloss, says, make allowance for each other's faults. Like, I'm already giving you an opportunity because I know this is real life. It ain't some churchy, holy, righteous, better than thou type of thing, and I don't have those expectations. I'm giving you an allowance to offend me. Here you go. Spend it in the future. I'm giving you an allowance to sin against me. Here you go. I expect that will be taking place at some time in the future, and it's going to be okay when it does. Why? Because I've clothed myself with love. Here's an allowance for you to make mistakes. You want to know why? Because I've made mistakes too, and just as God has forgiven me, I must forgive you. And it's okay, because I've clothed myself with love, and it's going to be that love that binds us together in perfect harmony. I've said this before. Some of you may have missed it. One time I was sitting down with a guy who attended our church. He's attended twice, and he said he'd probably never be back. And I was sitting with him, talking to him, and he said, you know what? I do a lot of Yelp reviews on restaurants. And if I was to base it off the restaurant perspective, then I would have given you guys a poor Yelp review. Why? Because Ed was preaching. He was announced as the youth pastor, and he said something about Star Wars, and he thought it was too youthy. You know what? I'm not a science fiction fan. Some of you guys are. I don't know what was said, but here you have a youth pastor who's trying to learn and grow in his ability to teach and preach, and and whether it's to the youth or it's to all of us or someday hopefully to adults in the future, you give him grace. Why do you give him grace? Because he's the kid in the soccer field. He's not the coach in the soccer field. And he needs strength and comfort and encouraged. And you know what that meant to me? You know what? You don't understand this principle because you think that the restaurant is like the church where you can only come, where you only come to be fed. But you're not a part of the restaurant where you share in the responsibility of making the food and helping build up a healthy body and other people. Why don't you try and become a part of a family somewhere, even if it's not here? so that you can fulfill the purpose God has called you to fulfill. So what is that responsibility? How does that fall on you? Remember, every believer has a responsibility to serve the body of Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 4, to build your serving, to build up the body of Christ. Your goal, part of your goal, not just the preacher on Sunday morning, is building up other believers so that we can have a healthy church body and healthy isn't absence of issues it's the ability for us to work through issues in a healthy way so after leaving the gathering of believers there should be less questions in our minds about what did I receive today and more about what did I give today If it's your responsibility in the gathering to use your gift to build up the body, when you come on Sunday morning, you shouldn't be leaving thinking, what did I receive? What did I get out of today? You should be leaving thinking, what did I give today? Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. You can read it in different translations. 
Paul's writing to the church about the mess that's being talked about and how to bring order, yet he still says these things. My brothers and sisters, let's summarize what I've told you in this chapter. When you meet together, what does the meeting look like? That's what we're talking about from Hebrews today. One will sing. One will teach. Another will give some special revelation that God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. What's that word? Strengthen, comfort, and encourage. But who did it involve? Multiple people who were using their gifts, practicing them amongst the church family. Paul sees the gathering of the church as a time when people come to participate, to give to one another, not just passively receive. Easier said than done. I try this in my small group once in a while. We just go around. We don't study anything, and I want to hear what God has put on people's hearts. It's challenging some Sundays because people aren't used to that. And usually it takes a little bit of time. Like, what's God been speaking to you? Well, like, here's the challenge. Hopefully if you read your Bible this week and you've been praying. You've been spending some time with the Lord because you're going to be asked, what's God been speaking to you? Because if you listen and you're a mature Christian, that God should be speaking to you all the time. And so generally he's speaking some things to us that often have to do with the church as a whole. Sometimes it's just us, but we can learn from the lesson that God's trying to teach you. And usually he has like a topic that he's dealing with in our life because it's like a layered onion, right? He peels off one thing and then you realize you've got this other issue. It takes a while for him to get you to deal with that issue and shed that issue, right? And so we, we go around and we discuss and sometimes that will dominate what we discuss because that's the lesson that God has, not just for that person, but the group as a whole. It's not up to Pastor Corey because everybody's at his small group to listen to him speak all the time. It's about us sharing what God is doing amongst each other and we learn from those things. And sometimes people say dumb stuff, but it's okay because it's just us. And so we are able to talk through different things or, or they, you know, don't want to share, but they get encouraged to share. Just so you know, you probably don't want to come to my small group after you've heard that. But those are the things that we sometimes do, not every time, but it's difficult. But it's not just my responsibility to build up and to edify other believers. As challenging as it is in a small group, that's even more challenging in the larger group, like a Sunday morning church service, right? But what if we looked at the heart of the gathering as everyone shares something with someone else? Meaning that when you come to church today, if you're a believer, I'm coming to church not only to receive a blessing, but I'm asking God for an opportunity to bless someone today. Use your gift. It's a big mistake to think that just because you're not up here on the platform, you're singing or you're preaching, that you can't minister or serve or bless somebody. People in the church family should be looking for opportunities to pray with people, to encourage people, to strengthen people, to, to comfort people, to love on people as we gather together as the family. That's what this is about. This way of thinking could possibly make our breakfast time from 9 to 9.45 or even a half hour worship service as the best and most exciting time of ministry 
that takes place on a Sunday. And nobody would even know it. But as a whole, we would see it because the body's growing together and growing in a healthy way. That's what should be taking place. Of all the testimonies I shared this morning, the three, really, none of them had so much to do with what took place in the uh, two hours that I keep you guys preaching at you. They all took place outside. That's my challenge to everybody that's here this morning. You were blessed to be here on this Sunday morning to hear this word, that you're called to come here to minister to somebody else. Praying before you come, who can I bless today? Who can I share my gift with? How can I practice? How can I help comfort, strengthen, and encourage? I'm going to close with these verses. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. I'm reading them from The Voice. Paul writes to the church, So you, everybody say, that's me, are no longer called outcasts and wanderers, but citizens with God's people, members of God's holy family, residents of his household, You are being built on a solid foundation. The message of the prophets and the voices of God's chosen emissaries with Jesus, the anointed himself, the precious cornerstone. The building is joined together stone by stone. We're not talking about a physical building. Symbolic of a physical building is the gathering of believers. The building, the edifying, the building up of the church is joined together stone by stone, all of us chosen, sealed in Christ, rising up to become a holy temple in the Lord. We are the temple, but it's not just me that's the temple. Yes, Paul says that in Corinthians, but he's also saying the spirit of God resides in you. You're the temple of the Lord. But as you join together with, with Jim and with Pam and with Kay and with Vern Stern in the back. You know what? You all are a piece of the temple that comes together with the Spirit of God. You're building something bigger than yourself. You're building something that God's designed from the very beginning. You're building the body of Christ, and it's my spirit that reigns in that building. That's what he's saying. Creating a sacred dwelling place among you where God can live in spirit. We are the body of Christ a temple in the Lord being built together, a place being created among us for his presence to live. That's what this gathering is all about. The togetherness is where his presence reigns. And the world will know us as followers of Jesus by the way we strengthen, encourage, and comfort one another. Just think of that. Our love for one another in and of itself is a tool for evangelism. Like you think, I'm not one to stand on the street corner and preach. I can't share God with people very well. But you know what you can do that will help bring people to the Lord? Is you can strengthen, encourage, and comfort your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because it's our love for one another that they will see. That will draw them to us. Forever family is God's plan and our purpose. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. I pray that some way, shape, or form, that your word through me will go out and not return void, but Lord will plant seeds in our heart to help us understand what it means to be a part of your family. And we're not just talking about Silver Valley Worship Center. 
But ultimately, what it means to love each other, to serve each other, to help build each other up, what it means to have grace for each other in the family of God. What it means when when we see messes or weird things happen or we see somebody that has bad attitudes, that it's an opportunity for us to grow, to be able to give them love and sow those seeds of righteousness. I pray that in this, our family, that you will be glorified and that the world will know you by our love right here in this church family, Silver Valley Worship Center. Help bind us together that people will see you, not because we're perfect and holy, but because we are sinners saved by grace who are living out the life of a saint, knowing that you died for us and that we give that same grace, forgiveness, and mercy towards each other to help each other become more like you.